Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. It's going to be a good one. How many of you have your spouse with you today? Anybody have a spouse with them today? Oh, the cheering. That was nice. Love that. If your spouse cheered, you just got extra points. I want you just to stand up on your feet with me for one second. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them you're glad they're here. Give them a high five. Move your body for a second. You can be seated. Just returned last, uh, this morning about 2.30 in the morning from Tegucigalpa, Honduras, where we were partners in fulfilling a vision that was given 25 years ago, and um, it was finished last night. We have covered 60 cities in the nation of Honduras. I think they're going to put a little picture up. That's a good crowd right there. We had hundreds and hundreds. We haven't gotten all the numbers back, but hundreds and hundreds of people born again. And we had so many incredible miracles. A child who received their sight, they were blind, and God opened their eyes. How many of you can give God a hand clap for that? Oh, it's good. We serve a good God. We prayed for a lady with a hernia that was so large you could see it from the outside of her shirt and she, hadn't, she couldn't feel her legs anymore. And we prayed and the prayer of faith and guess what? She got complete feeling back in her legs and God began that healing in her. So we're just so grateful today. So, so grateful. I think over um, all of the cities, we've given 100,000 books and sewn them into that country. In the years that we've been there, it's gone. I don't know the exact uh, number right now, to be honest, but it's somewhere around 8% that they were Christian, and now the nation is over 40-some-odd percent Christian. So, man, it's just great. I'm all about finishing something. I don't let my kids start things and not finish them. If they start a sport and it's a season, they have to finish the season. Or they, they can choose next season, but they got to finish. How many think it's important for us to be finishers and to create finishers in this life? So I want to just say a big congratulations to Pastor David Brown in case he is watching this later. My dad, he finished all those 60 cities. He did what God asked him to do, and I think we can all learn a lesson. I want to be more like him. Whatever I grow up, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. So we are grateful today. We are encouraged. I am pumped. I've had no sleep. There is no telling what I could say today. You came to the right service. It's going to be fun. We'll, we'll keep it together. We'll keep it word-centered, and we'll all leave here better than when we came in. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. You know, Brian and I have done marriage teaching for so many years, and really, we got about five years into um, our 
pastoring this church and we realize people have a lot of things that they need help with in their families, in their marriages, and if we can cover it in a setting like this, we can really help a lot of people and encourage a lot of people. And I think a lot of times people feel like they're the only one that's ever gone through that. But the truth of the matter is you are rarely the only one that has gone through something. I think people get private in their marriages and try to bring things in and everything grows in the darkness. How many of you have realized that everything just grows in the darkness? When you just get in there and shine a big old fat spotlight on it and say, hey, this is what's going on with us, a lot of times people are like, oh, that's not that bad. But whenever it's covered in darkness and it's hidden and it's a secret, everything starts to grow. It's like mold. It grows in the dark. And so we like to bring spotlights to things and encourage people in their marriages. And every year we try to put a little bit of a different spin on it. But we also try to cover a lot of the same information because we have young people and people who are on in their years that have just gotten married. Maybe it's a second or a third marriage. How many of you know our culture, there's all kinds of things going on and everybody's in a a different spot in a different season. Most of the time we do a very general um, population answer and people have to take the nuggets and they have to just, in, you know, take it into their life and consider that thing treasure. If you leave Marriage Moment series with one thing you've done really well, just one thing to take into your marriage for the next six months to a year and really apply it and work that thing. How many of you know uh, the Bible doesn't work unless the people of God work the Word of God? And so today, um, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. I hope you'll enjoy it thoroughly. The first service, we had so many people coming up saying, man, I got so much out of that. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Amarillo, and I had an older gentleman. He was like 87 or 88, and he came to me. He's a brilliant man. Um, I believe he's a rocket scientist at the nuclear weapons plant. Super, super smart guy. And he came, and he said, to me, Jesse, I want to thank you for what you taught this morning. And I said, oh, I appreciate that. He said, I want to encourage you. He's like, I really want you to know today that if as a young man I had gotten that information, my wife wouldn't have had a nervous breakdown and we would probably still be married. He said, my family could have still been together if we had gotten a hold of what you taught this morning. But because I didn't have a resource or any place to find that, I didn't do right by my wife. And now we aren't together and our family has experienced separation. I thought that was so humble of him to admit that even years and years and years later but also very encouraging for me to know that maybe we'll have the opportunity in the last three weeks or even today to rescue a marriage because someone gets a tool in their tool belt that they didn't have before, something that they can use to move forward in their marriage and in their relationships. And so that's my prayer for you today. Brian and I are just praying and believing God. He's in the Amarillo campus this morning. I'm here. We have the same set of questions. You got the best preacher, so go ahead and get excited. That's not true. I'm teasing. One, let's go with the first one that we have. We gathered them all from um, all of the emails that we received, and we're going to answer them today. How do I get my spouse to come to church with me? Uh, we get this question in almost every single one of these questions, to be honest, on a consistent basis. So I want you to know that you are not alone if this is your question. There are so many people who are like, thank you. You know, I'm glad that they're asking that. How do I get my, church, uh, my spouse to come to church with me? Well, I've got news for you. People have a free will. 
And they do what they want. How many of you have recognized that by now? They do what they want. You cannot control an adult. They can do whatever they want to do. They have to want to do something to move their own body. We can pick children up and take them, but you can't, you know, most of the time your spouse is a little large for that. So I think that we should gather flies with honey instead of vinegar. I think that's probably our best um, idea at this point and in this, in this moment. Say, how do I get them to come? Well, I want to encourage you today that instead of making it a hellish experience when you get home from church with guilt and shame, and I can't believe you didn't come with me, and I can't believe I have to go to church by myself. Listen, I know it's hard to sit in church by yourself and hard to come whenever your spouse isn't wanting to come with you, and maybe you have kids and you're bringing them along, and it's a, it's, it's a task, but guess what? It's the best thing that you do for your family all week long. I'm telling you, it is the best thing that you do for your family. We do so many things for our family. We take them soccer uh, practices, baseball practices. We do all these things. We make sure that we go here. We make sure that we go there. There is nothing more important than coming to church. And so as you come, just know that you're doing the best thing, and God will honor you. But also remember that you can make it beautiful for your spouse that's not coming. You can say, man, we're going to have the best day today. We've got this new series. It's called Marriage Moments. I love it. I had so much fun. Let me tell you what Jesse said. This was, this was great. I want to tell you the notes I took. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Well, just let me tell you one thing, just one highlight of, of what I learned today. And then be like, hey, hun, whenever I get home, let's go to lunch together. Let's make a day of it. We'll go for a drive. We'll go to the Cracker Barrel. We'll just hang out with one another. How does that sound? Sunday can be a fun day for us. And then... Just make it something that is enjoyable, the conversation, instead of going home and being like, you know what, you are failing as a mother. I need you to get in the car and come to church with me next week because if you don't, our children are all watching you. I'm mad at you. And just be mean to them the rest of the day and torture them. How many of you think if we just encourage them and we're kind to them and we were a pleasant human being, we could really exemplify who Jesus really is to our spouse and give them an opportunity to get curious instead of just getting angry? Amen? Amen. Let's go to number two. How do I continue in a godly marriage when my spouse no longer believes? This is a tricky one because a lot of times people understand that before you get married, you're supposed to actually marry someone in the, in the process that God would have us to walk in. If we are believers, we should marry believers. The Bible says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That is in reference to people actually who aren't married yet choosing a spouse, choosing business partners, choosing people to walk with, choosing relationships that we shouldn't be, that just means we shouldn't be yoked up like two oxen that are pulling something together. If you want to have a good experience, you're actually going, if you're equally yoked together and you're not the only one doing the, the tugging, right? You're not the only one pulling this load behind you. It's going to be an incredible experience. And God wanted that for you. He wanted you to have someone that was equally yoked together with you and not an unbeliever. But once you're married, you're married. And again, this person has free will and they get to choose whether or not they want to serve God. And if they choose to walk away and say, no, I want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with his church and nothing to do with Christianity. And I'm uh, even, uh, you know, I'm angry with God and I'm going to do something different. 
The Bible has something to say about that. So I want you to open up your Bibles today to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. It's not the same as before you get married, deciding who you're going to marry. Now you're married to them, and we have to decide what to do inside of the marriage. But to the rest, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him... Let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace." For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, this is something that I want us to look at today because I think it's really important in the grand scheme of things. And that is that God always sets up a perfect system. God wants you to be equally yoked together, to both be believers, to both be going to church, to both be helping one another. But how many of you know we live in a broken world? So sometimes those things are not that way. And so they're addressing this in 1 Corinthians 13 saying, listen, if you find yourself with an unbelieving spouse, as long as that spouse is willing to live with you in peace, they're happy to live with you, continue to live with them. You're not released from that marriage because they have broken their their relationship with the Lord. You're actually still bound in that covenant. And if for some reason that unbelieving spouse is not happy, not pleased to dwell with you, and they depart, let them depart. There's no condemnation on you and you're not bound in that marriage. In other words, you're released from that thing if they decide to depart. Let the unbeliever do what the unbeliever's gonna do. How many of you know unbelievers do what unbelievers do? But believers do what believers do. So in the midst of our believing, we have to trust God that we will sanctify or clean our house. What does that mean? There, is, there are a few things that God gives us to help us in this life. And I believe two of them are any influence of Christianity in the house gives everyone in the house a better shot at serving Jesus. So he's saying your kids will be unclean because you didn't stay there and give that influence. You know, if you leave, you only get those children usually half of the time. Now they only have half of the time of you being an influence. So God's purpose and plan is that we would continue in that marriage, continue in that household, and thus bring a cleaning to our family. I want you to know today, I stand as a grateful receiver of the blessing of this very concept. Because my father-in-law went to church and did all those things, but wasn't really a committed believer in his relationship with the Lord. But my mother-in-law was, and she served Jesus with everything in her, and she did what she was supposed to do, and she stayed there, and they had a great relationship, and, they, and he was pleased to dwell with her, and she stayed in that place. And because of her influence later on, obviously her husband came to know Christ, but also my uh, husband, even though he went far away from God for a season, came back into the faith and was brought into this believing day that we stand in right now. And he's a believer and he's a pastor and he's a great husband and he's a great father. And I believe that that is directly connected to her influence over him. Y'all give Anigail a big old fat hand clap for that. 
She's in the room today. I won't make her stand up today. But a great influence, and she brought sanctification to the household. She kept the, the bar high. She made sure everyone knew there was a better way to live, a Christian way to live, a believing way to live. And because of it, my family has experienced increase because of her faithfulness. So never doubt for one second that you are a witness in your household for what God wants to do in the people in your family. The second concept that God places in the family is that he asks the children to honor their father and mother. That's not just so that people can feel good about being honored by their kids. The direct connection there is that the reason we are to honor our father and mother is so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be passed down from one generation to the next. And if children are listening to their parents' voices, they are more likely to learn the gospel and follow in that gospel presentation in their life, right? They're more likely to become Christians. They're more likely to have a relationship with Jesus. And God knew that, and so he instated the concept of honoring your father and your mother. We think of that as just like doing whatever mom and dad want, but really the purpose of honor of our father and mother was so that their faith would be transferred down to us. Maybe you're a first generation Christian and you've never seen that happen, but it is powerful. When you have a transfer of faith from one generation to the next, that family gets stronger. Then that transfer of faith goes to the next generation. It gets stronger. And these things that we didn't think we could do in the first generation of Christianity, it's like no big deal, no problem for the third and the fourth generation of Christianity because their faith is stronger and they've been surrounded. That's how we cleanse our children is by making sure that we obey God and that they honor their father and mother so that their ears can stay open to what God has for them. Amen? Amen. Number three, my spouse is always questioning and accusing me of being unfaithful because of insecurities in his past relationships. How can we communicate and address this properly? Big question. Because of the brokenness of our community and our culture, we see it, not the church, but as a culture, we embrace sex outside of marriage, which was never called to be the case. Sex inside of marriage was always supposed to be the vehicle for sexual exploration and sexual communication and sexual, uh, all of the things that surround sex, they were supposed to happen in the confines of a covenant of marriage. God knew this. It's a protective place. It's where God can take something that can be destructive and he can make it productive. And so if you allow sex to become destructive, destructive. How many of you know things in your past life before you met Jesus were destructive and things were broken and you sinned and you made mistakes and you did things that you're not proud of today and now you know Jesus. But how many of you know if you robbed a bank the week before you got saved, you're still going to the pen. Jesus can't take that away from you. Why? Because there are repercussions to our actions. There's cleansing of sin from Jesus by his blood, but there are natural consequences to the actions that we bring into our lives. That being said, there are natural consequences to sex outside of marriage. You sin against your body. You sin against your future spouse. You sin against your family. There's brokenness that's involved in that, which is why we teach our young people and our unmarried people to remain celibate, to hold true to self-control being a fruit of the Spirit, that God has a plan for them that is bigger than exploring their sex outside of marriage. 
But once we find ourselves inside, there's all this brokenness and jealousy and things and baggage and all of this stuff. And there has to come a point in a Christian marriage where we look at each other and we just have to make a truce. We have to look each other in the eye. We have to maybe do a little, you know, just a, a symbolic handshake that we are agreeing that we are going to forgive and that we are going to move on. Now, I'm not talking about if you've been in a marriage and there's been a lot of going outside of the marriage and there's still sin going on. I'm talking about you've had sin outside of marriage. Now you've been faithful inside of that marriage. You're going to have to look at each other and do one final act of repentance. Listen, I repent. I'm asking you to forgive me for how I sinned against you and sinned against our family. I understand that where I was was a dark place, a bad place. And I understand that I didn't do what was right. I even think it's appropriate to repent if you were engaging in that kind of relationship with one another outside of marriage. And just say, hey, listen, this is a place that I messed up, that I sinned against God and I sinned against you. And I want the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, to be in my life, to be in my heart and for you to be able to trust me. And so today I want to give you my word that I'm going to live in self-control for the rest of our days and have a full-on communication face-to-face about that issue. You say, Jesse, I don't even want to talk about it. We have to communicate about the things that are eating our marriages up. And at that point, then, if you are a believer, you're going to have to walk in forgiveness. I'm not saying if someone's going out on you regularly that you ignore it and stick your head in the ground like an ostrich. But if they were a sinner before they met Jesus and they are repentant and they're walking in the light of God and they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do, at some point we have to forgive and use the self-control to control the own jealousy of our heart. And we have to shut that thing down. It is a mighty, mighty monster that will destroy your marriage if you let jealousy eat everything up. God has called us to something greater, and he wants our marriages to be strong and healthy. Number four, my spouse is always critical and angry towards me and tells me to be quiet when I try to communicate. I feel disrespected. I feel alone. How do I open up communication without causing more anger? I'm just going to give you the best life hack that I know right here. And that is if you cannot communicate between the two of you without it being explosive, abusive, angry, hateful, all these things, you need a third party. It is never not okay to ask for help. People think, well, we should handle this on our own. Maybe not. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you don't have what it takes to fix it, but God does. A third party is not your mother. Oh, mamas. We are incredible, aren't we? Your mother loves you more than she loves anybody. It will never change. If she finds out that your spouse has done something to you, you get ready. She will hate them for the rest of their life. Mothers love their kids. They are not the third party. I'm talking about a Christian counselor, therapist, someone that is a leader in the church, that is a great mentor in the body of Christ that can come alongside you. Some couple that has been married for 45 years and they still like each other. Somebody around you that has help from heaven for you and it's a third party. Listen, 
You can't rely on your family to be your third party. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I was in labor with Chapel Gibson. I was working hard to provide a third grandchild for my mother-in-law. I was sweating profusely. My mother-in-law was at one side of me and my husband was at the other. I looked up in this moment and my mother-in-law had a cool wet rag that she was bringing toward me. And I thought, this is a beautiful thing. She's going to wipe the sweat from my brow as I give birth to her grandchild. She skipped over me and she wiped Brian's brow. I give you my word of honor. <laughs> she quickly said that it was because his sweat was going to drip on me, but we all know that's a lie. The whole medical staff stopped and said, really? And then they busted out laughing. I didn't understand it, but now I do because I have children. I would wipe their brow too, because why? We love our people more than we love anybody else, even if you've had them for a long time. So, I have been in this family 19 years. I still can only fill the glasses with ice and nobody wipes my brow. <laughs> it takes you a long time to get in the family and to be that part. And still, people love their people more than you. You gotta go outside of that circle and get help. And there is nothing wrong with help. How many of you have ever gotten help in your marriage? I, I'm putting up both hands. If I didn't have this mic, I would put up both hands. Because any time that we need some kind of help that we don't have, we go and find it. It is better to get help than it is to get a lawyer and get a divorce. Listen to me. It is so much better to go ask for help than it is to just get a lawyer and get a divorce. God wants to keep your family healthy, and you can't do any of it on your own. That's why you're here today. Number five, after having kids, I've lost the drive to have sex with my spouse. Every time my spouse tries, it just gets on my nerves. How many of you ever been there? That was funny, you guys. How do I get the sex drive back? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 4, and we'll figure out what God says about it. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive another except with consent for a time that you may, be, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You hear me? Come back together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the thing. People, for the most part, do not get married to not have sex anymore. And yet life happens. Hormones change. Physical ability changes. People age. People have children. Lots of things happen. But there's one thing that stays the same. If we obey God's principles, he honors us with joy and he honors us with blessing. One of the biggest lies that we believe in our culture is that if we don't feel like doing something, we shouldn't have to. One of the biggest lies in our culture is that if we don't feel like doing something, we should not have to. If I only went to work when I felt like it, we would starve. If I only raised my kids when I got up feeling like it in the morning, my children would have no raising. If I only came to church when I felt like it, you would not get pastored. 
Say, Jesse, I thought you liked every Sunday morning. No, I was up till 2.30 in the morning. I wanted to sleep in this morning. I didn't feel like coming to church. But there was still a need for me to be here to obey God and to be in the proper position in life. The same is true in our marriages that even when we do not feel like being physically intimate with our spouse, it is our obedience to God that we decide, I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. My body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my spouse. And if you're saying, Jesse, you may have medical things that need attention. Find a doctor. You may need information that you don't have because nobody is enjoying that relationship. I'm telling you, there are phenomenal books, one of which is called The Act of Marriage. If you have never read The Act of Marriage, you need to get a hold of that book right now and you need to study it like your life depends on it because marriages depend on the sexual relationship being beneficial. This is something you're not going to want to delegate out. This is something that is your task. And if we honor God and we're obedient, then God honors us with bringing joy to it, bringing enjoyment to it, bringing a lot of hope and a lot of healing. And when we get outside of ourselves and we do what God asks us to do and not just what we feel like doing today, God can take care of a lot of things that we don't know how to fix in the natural. Amen? Amen. Number six, what is the best advice for a blended family? We both have children from a previous marriage and have a child together also. How do you keep from arguing about parenting each other's children? I think one of the first things in this question that I'd like to address is the comment, arguing about parenting each other's children. If we are going to blend families together and half of you are blending families together right now, as we speak, listen, I see you, I pray for you, I know you, I watch every single week as our kids ministry numbers rise, come down, rise, come down, rise, come down. It's every other week. What is that phenomenon? I know exactly what it is. Mama's house, daddy's house, mama's house, daddy's house, mama's house, daddy's house. We're living in a world where over half of you guys are going between two houses every other weekend or some form or fashion of that schedule. And so whenever we look at this, when we've remarried and now we have a child together, we have to come at it from an approach that is different. See, when you start living married, you got to live married. You can't live single anymore. If you're single, you should live single. I mean single. If you're married, you should be living married. If you're co-parenting with someone outside of your home, I hope that you've mat- you know, matured enough in your relationship that you've got some kind of grace to, to do that. Listen, your children deserve to have peace amongst their parents. A lot of parents want that child to choose between the two of them. There's nothing more selfish than asking a child to choose between two parents that they love dearly and their blood runs through their veins. A child, even an adult child, should never be requested to choose between their family. That shouldn't even be a part of our Christian uh, understanding of what we do for children. We protect children. We provide for children. We shelter children. We take care of children. We do whatever it takes. We have a rule in our house. Protect the kids and do not aggravate the old people. It's like if you're aggravating the older people, you are 
wrong. You need to stay away and stop doing that. Why? Because they've already dealt with all the aggravation they need in life. They need you to take care of some business. And kids need to stay out of the mix of the conversations and think that the world is a good place. There's only one time to be a kid. Let your kids enjoy their childhood. And if there's a brokenness there due to any circumstance, do the very best as much as it is within you. I want you to go to Romans 12, verse 18. It says this, as much as, let's say this, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So if you've got someone outside that you're co-parenting with, do everything. Some people are impossible. Let's face it. I've pastored long enough. I'm aware of this. But as much as it is within you, with every fiber of being that you have to dwell in peace, dwell in peace. Then when they come to your house, they are now your children. This is your family. You say, but it's his child. No, it's your child. Because you just covenanted with that person that their family would be your family. And so now you are in a relationship with them that cannot be broken. And part of your responsibility is to help your spouse be the best that they can be at every relationship in every situation. As you love them, honor them, you engage in this thing that helps them be a better parent. You can't help them be a better parent by still referring to that other family as their family. It must become your family. And as you do that, you begin to treat them as your family. You begin to treat them. I mean like treat them. Give them more than they deserve. Give them more than you were willing to give. Engage in relationship with them. Love their children. The Bible says this. It says, kiss the son lest the father be angry. That's a proverb that means if you're good to people's kids, they will like you. If you are not good to people's kids, they will not like you. If you want a good marriage, you got to be good to people's children. And then the two of you have to sit down and come to an agreement. This is how it goes at our house. We cannot control what happens outside of this house and outside of our weekend. But we can control what happens. You get those kids together and you say, listen, teamwork, kids, it's cheesy. But teamwork makes the dream work. We're a team. And dad and I, we are a team. Just the other day, Justice came to me with a gigantic pixie stick. And he said, Mama, Daddy said I can have this. I said, there's one problem with that. Daddy is not in charge of food. I said, you can't have that pixie stick right now. You're about to go to bed. He said, but Daddy said that. I said, go back and ask Daddy again and tell him that Mama said to come ask him if he really said that. And I watched him walk across the lobby out here in the church. Some of the, uh, some of the church members were watching. And he said, Daddy, Mama said, did you really tell me that I could have this pixie stick? He said, you're not having a pixie stick, son. Your pixie stick days are over. Why? Because mama has said no, and Brian already knew that he's not in charge of food. We have an agreement. So he's not going to get in the middle of that. Why? Because we're not going to get kids come in and divide and conquer our relationship. So we always say to him, if you want to be on the winning team, you're going to be on mom and dad's team because this is the winners. If you want to be a loser, you can be on the other team. 
Nobody likes being a loser. They want to be on the winning team. And if you want to win, you're going to stick with us because we're sticking together. When kids see that, there is a peace that comes to your house that is unmatched. Kids love people who dwell together in unity. It brings safety into their world. It brings happiness to them. They calm down. They say, oh, everything's going to be okay. The chaos has stopped. The storm has stopped. And now we are dwelling in a place of peace. Listen, children need peace and they need unity and it starts with us so we no longer refer to your kids and my kids now we refer to our family our home what God's called us to do and we engage everyone in that process and I'm telling you as long and as many years and as many families as we have walked through this with I've never seen someone no family's perfect don't ever get a dream about that but there is something about bringing peace and unity the Bible says we're where, uh, where strife abounds, so does every evil thing. We don't need every evil thing in our house. We're already fighting everything in the world. We got to keep evil out and good in. And the way we do that is by squelching strife and raising the flag of unity and peace and saying, we're dwelling together. This is us. We have... One more question and we will be done. I'm so excited that we got through these today. I hope they've helped you. It says, number seven, please define in today's age the role of a husband as provider and the protector and the role of the wife to be submissive. This was the question I'd like to point out that um, there are primary roles given to us in Scripture. In our household, men are called to lead and they are called to provide and they are called to protect. Every time we see husbands, uh, every time we see a husband in scripture, we see that this is a part of his primary role. It doesn't mean that he can't have a secondary role. It means that he had, that this is his primary role. Women are not primarily, I wouldn't say their primary role is to be submissive. I would say their primary role is to be a helpmate. Now in that, you're going to have to submit to the authority and the leadership of your life. Men may second, I, I wish Brian was here because he does such a great job of talking about this. And I'm, I, I'm gonna come at it from his perspective and teach it to you in the way that he says it because I think it's very efficient the way that he says it. But he always says that leadership never, uh, someone who's at an actual leader doesn't see their leadership as a luxury. They see it as a responsibility. And that if they're wise, they will take every resource available to them to make the best decisions in life and push their family as far forward as they can. And hopefully you married a brilliant girl and she's a massive resource. There's nothing wrong with pulling her into that. Now, we both have secondary roles in that if it's wisdom and it's practical, a woman can come in and help bring provision in. There's in Proverbs, it talks to a king and it's talking about the kind of woman that he should marry. And in that scripture, it refers to this king that he should look for a woman who buys and sells, that she's a trader, that she makes money, that she has income. There's nothing wrong with that taking place, especially if it benefits the family and pushes them forward. It's just that at the end of the day, that man is primarily responsible to be sure that that family is provided for. It is The weight lies on him. It does not lie on the wife in the same way that woman is called to be a helpmate secondarily she may find herself in a spot at times that uh, that 
you know, we may find a time that a man is actually able to step in and has to find himself in a spot in life that he submits. Just because you're a man doesn't mean you never have to submit to anyone. You have, you have a boss, you have a family that wants to eat grilled cheese and you want barbecue. And you don't see leadership as a luxury, so you lay down your right to have barbecue. And you submit to the whole family that just because you're not a woman doesn't mean there's never an opportunity to submit because we're Christians and we walk in love. That's a beautiful thing. Just because we're women doesn't mean that we can't come in and provide, even sometimes make a higher salary than our husband and bring provision into the house. That's a beautiful thing. That's nothing to be ashamed of. God just simply sets out the responsibilities and he helps us to understand where the weight lies so that if there's ever a day that a decision needs to be made and someone needs to engage because something's not being taken care of, that we understand our primary role. Does that make sense to you? And as we walk in the beauty of God, as we walk in our position of strength, we may find ourselves doing lots of things to make sure life happens. If you've been married longer than two months and had any family, you understand it's going to take a lot of different shifting into different positions to make everything work. But at the end of the day, I know something. I've been a, I've been a wage-earning member of our family since the get-go. But at the end of the day, I know something. It is Brian's job to make sure our family eats. It is Brian's job to make sure that if our dog barks and we think someone's in the yard, I am not getting out of the bed. He's the protector. Can I do that? You better believe it. If he's out of town, I got a gun waiting for you. <laughs> Only in the South. I couldn't have said that in California. That was awesome. But I'll tell you this, I'm, I, I can do that. I'm capable. It has nothing to do with, with being capable. It has everything to do with being available to do what it is that God has asked us to do. And in every walk of life, in everything we do with Jesus, in every day that we serve him, we will have to find ourselves being submissive to the plan of God everywhere that we go. And if we're okay with that, if we're okay with being hardworking people that submit to those around us and love and in respect and in honor, we will find ourselves being elevated in life and something good coming to our family. Because when we obey God, God honors us. I want you to stand on your feet this morning. I hope that, I hope that encouraged you. I hope that you heard the answer to your question. I believe that was all of the questions that we got in, so we got to answer all of them today. Man, I'm proud of you for being in the house of God and bringing your family here because it's in this place that you begin to flourish. We're gonna have a great week next week. Look at your seat. I want you to pull the card up that you have in your seat. Hold it in your hand. We're gonna pray over it today. We're gonna ask God to show us who to give it to this week, and we're gonna invite our friends to come to church. We're gonna have a great week next week. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I bless these people. I thank you, God, that they are the head and never the tail, above only and never beneath. Their cupboards are filled with plenty, and they have an abundance for every good work. Father, today I say that if they're not married and they want to be, I pray a special blessing on their life today. May you bring someone in that fulfills the thing that they need in their life, Father. That community, that, that being together, that being one with another human being. The love, the affection, the honor, the blessing. Father, I thank you that you would give them favor from on high. Father, right now I pray for every marriage in this place. Pray for every blended family. I pray, God, that you would give them strength. That you would give them help from heaven. 
Right now, Lord, we hold these cards in our hand. We say, God, who do they belong to? Help us to invite the right person. Lay them on our heart. Help us not to be able to shake the invitation, but God, to go to them and say, hey, I'd love to have you sit by me. I'll save you a seat. Father, help us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, inviting people that need to hear your word into this place so that their lives can be changed like you've been so gracious to change ours. Today, Lord, we honor you. We thank you. We say, God, let your will be done right here in Owensboro, Kentucky, as it is in heaven. If you agree, just say amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great, great week. We're so glad to have you this morning.